This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Presented by Legacy Precious Metals. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Now would be an excellent time for you to go to the App Store to get the 77 WABC app loaded into your phone. That way you won't miss any of the extraordinary programming, both talk and entertainment, that we feature here at 77 WABC. So it's easy, it's free, uh, and you won't miss any of our great programming here. I highly, highly recommend it. Joining us now with Jeffrey Epstein, the convicted sex trafficker and pedophile back in the news, uh, is Nick Bryant. Nick Bryant is a investigative journalist and author, but more importantly, I think he may be the first U.S.-based reporter to begin investigating the Epstein Network as early as 2012, when it was Nick Bryant who first acquired Jeffrey Epstein's Little Black Book. This was seven years before the Epstein case broke nationally. Uh, Nick Bryant pitched an article on the Little Black Book for three solid years to various mainstream media outlets until in 2015, Finally, Gawker published uh, his article regarding Epstein's Little Black Book uh, and what was being done to children. Nick Bryant, thanks for joining us on The Roger Stone Show. Glad to be on The Roger Stone Show. Uh, As you know, I uh, wrote a book, The Clinton's War on Women, in 2015, uh, after uh, your Gawker article published. Uh, I relied heavily on your article with full accreditation. Uh, You are really the individual whose doggedness broke this story. The cover-up of Jeffrey Epstein and his activities uh, at the highest levels of the U.S. government, as well as state governments, has been extraordinary. Uh, But none of what has unfolded in the last several days uh, regarding what some may think are new revelations about Jeffrey Epstein. Nothing at all, none of this would have happened without your persistence and your dogged efforts. So my hat is off to you. Well, thank you, Roger. I really appreciate it. Uh, Tell us about that experience of, uh, I know you can't reveal your source, but here you got journalistic dynamite when you got Epstein's Little Black Book, uh, you have stressed that not everybody in the book has done something wrong, uh, but many did. Uh, What was it like taking this to major media outlets uh, and having them say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not interested? Tell us about that. Well, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. I had I've written a book called The Franklin Scandal about a child trafficking network uh, that operated in the uh, 80s. And 
no one wanted to touch that article because that particular it was it was much like Epstein's network. It trafficked children from coast to coast, and it was covered up by state and federal law enforcement. And also, it had a nexus with intelligence and also blackmail. And I was pitching that story. I pitched that story to just about everybody. And they just looked at me with skepticism or incredulity. It's interesting. I would look into these editors' eyes as I would pitch that story to them. And I could see, like, wow, this is a big story. But then I could see, like, this blankness set in. And what was going on with them was cognitive dissonance. They thought to themselves, this is a horrible story, and I really need to help Nick Bryant. Or... I could just write Nick Bryant off as crazy and have a nice dinner with my family tonight. So that's what happened with when I was pitching an article on the Franklin scale. And, and basically the same thing happened when I was pitching an article on the Epstein scale, even with the black book. But I should mention that the editors that I'd pitched the Franklin scale to, uh, I estranged a number of them for some inexplicable reason. And they would not they wouldn't even return my emails at a certain point, but I did get to a lot of editors with the black book and not one of them wanted to touch it except for Gawker, which is kind of ironic because Gawker is considered to be the bad boys on the block. And these other publications that I pitched were ostensibly uh, draped in integrity and truth and justice, but it was ultimately Gawker that published the black book. What was the public reaction to your Gawker article at the time? Well, Gawker had a lot of hits on the article, and I also had passenger manifests at that point, and there were there were a lot of uh, passenger manifests, uh, and and I wrote an article about those too. So there was there were a number of uh, comments in on Gawker's website. It's interesting though; uh, every media. And magazine has talked about the black book ad nauseum. And there's only been one publication that's really accredited me with the black book, and that was Vanity Fair. So I find that really perplexing that here I, you know, I put the black book up and thousands of articles have been written about the black book and only one publication has attributed the black book to me. I find that kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, Vicki Ward, who is a very tough investigative reporter, who who contacted me after, I think, reading my uh, book, The Clinton's War on Women, uh, which has a long, long chapter uh, on Epstein, uh, leaning on many accredited sources, uh, evidently wrote an extensive piece for Vanity Fair on Epstein, but Bill Clinton himself uh, leaned on Graydon Carter, uh, the uh, publisher editor there at Vanity Fair, to spike that story. Uh, the efforts uh, by the government, including state prosecutors in Florida, federal prosecutors uh, uh, during four presidencies, uh, to uh, to suppress the information about Jeffrey Epstein is extraordinarily hard to believe unless you buy the claim of many uh, that Epstein was working for, among others, not only the Central Intelligence Agency, 
but also most likely the Mossad. Uh, we know that when his home in New York was raided, first of all, he'd already been taken into custody, uh, that they removed boxes and boxes and boxes of videotapes, presumably blackmail tapes of some of his marks with uh, his victims, yet we have no idea what happened to that material, uh, and it's never been made public. Why well, the cover-up? Go ahead. Go ahead, Well, uh, What's was... interesting about that is the FBI took all these DVDs out of Epstein's safe, and so what happened with me is the Department of Justice said the case was closed. So I did a FOIA on not the DVDs, but the reports on the DVDs. And then I got an email back saying that the case was ongoing. <laughs> so I doubt that I'm going to get uh, reports on those DVDs in the near future. Yeah, the, the government conveniently changes their story uh, when they need to. Uh, you and I were both accosted by a guy named Stephen Hoffenberg. Hoffenberg uh, had gone to prison himself. Uh, he had some kind of a, a credit bureau. He got jammed up in a major financial crime. But uh, among his uh, young trainees was one Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and uh, I, I think he told you the same thing that, that he told me, which was that Epstein was running a child sex trafficking ring that Epstein was himself a child rapist, and he insisted to me uh, until the day he died that Epstein was going to be arrested by the FBI. Uh, after a while, he called me so religiously and so regularly uh, that I finally blocked him. Uh, but in the end, Steve Hoffenberg turned out to be right, didn't he? It's interesting. I had the same experience with Steve Hoffenberg that you had. I didn't know whether or not he was uh, veritable because he had some idiosyncrasies. He had, I think at that point, prior to Bernie Madoff, he had participated in the largest Ponzi scheme ever in American history. And he was calling me incessantly also. So I didn't know exactly what to make of the information that he was giving me. But you're right. The information that he gave both of us turned out to be correct. Well, I was skeptical. Uh, I talked about this in the opening of the show, but there's no question that the Palm Beach City police uh, put together a much more comprehensive case in which Epstein would have been charged with uh, uh, child rape uh, against multiple victims. Uh, but amazingly, the state's attorney in Palm Beach County, uh, after negotiations with Epstein's high-powered lawyers, uh, ended up giving him a veritable slap on the wrist uh, where he was given a short sentence. Remind me how many months, because I get this wrong. He was given uh, 18 months in a county jail. Uh, but in Florida, uh, those convicted of sex crimes go to the state penitentiary. Why would Jeffrey Epstein uh, be treated differently? By the way, the, the Palm Beach County Jail is air-conditioned and quite nice. It's a correctional facility. The state penitentiaries in Florida, not so nice. Uh, why would Jeffrey Epstein get this special treatment? 
That case is very interesting because the Palm Beach Police Department were on it for a year. And they, <clears throat> they went about it very diligently because, after all, there was this very wealthy man who was uh, an ostensible, ostensibly philanthropic. Um, and they thought... They, they they knew that they needed a very high bar if they were going to uh, indict Jeffrey Epstein. And what happened was the Palm Beach Police Department found five underage victims of Jeffrey Epstein. And they had the corroboration of a number of other people corroborating those victims. And they also knew of 17 additional victims. So the Palm Beach Police Department knew of 23 Epstein victims. And a grand jury was called, which is very strange in Florida because grand juries are generally reserved for capital cases. But in a grand jury, a special prosecutor is chosen and he presents evidence to the grand jurors who are just regular citizens that have shown up for a grand jury duty. And he's the one that calls the witnesses and shows them evidence. And he basically sways the grand jurors any way he wants to. There was a New York Supreme Court judge that said grand special prosecutors and grand juries have so much power over grand jurors that they could get them to indict a ham sandwich. So with Epstein, that prosecutor, Kirchner, was aware of 23 victims because the Palm Beach Police Department was aware of 23 victims. And he only called one victim, and he skewered her. So that that grand jury returned with no child abuse indictments against Jeffrey Epstein. That was obviously very, very corrupt. And Michael Ryder, who was the police chief of the Palm Beach Police Department, who was really, he's a hero in this. I mean, he was really uh, harassed really heavily. But he went to the feds and he said, we need justice for these girls. And at this point, the feds had a list of over 30 Epstein victims. And according to Alexander Acosta, when he was transitioning to labor secretary for uh, Trump, the Trump administration, he was asked why he let Epstein off so lightly. And Acosta responded, I was told that Epstein was intelligence and it was above my pay grade and to leave it alone. Yeah, that is uh, uh, that is very damning. In an interview when I wrote my book, writer told me uh, that the state's attorney, whose name I believe was Kirshner, originally Kirshner. planned to charge Epstein only with solicitation. And ultimately, only because Ryder objected, he changed it to solicitation of a minor, which is uh, uh, still not sex trafficking. It's a serious charge, but a charge which nonetheless uh, he got a slap on the wrist for. It was Ryder, as you correctly point out, who went uh, to uh, uh, Alexander Acosta, uh, who then tried to seal the case, basically rubber stamping the state's conclusions and then sealed the case. Uh, if it really wasn't for the work of uh, uh, a great reporter, Julie Brown of the Miami Herald, who stayed on this story after everyone else had lost interest, uh, that Jeffrey Epstein would not have ultimately been arrested uh, and then potentially committed suicide, which leads me to uh, the obviously the most interesting question. Nick Bryant, do you think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? I don't like to speculate on that. I mean, there are certainly a number of anomalies uh, that night that occurred in that prison. And I 
if someone's looking at it objectively, they would think to themselves, look at these various anomalies and how, why did they happen? And why did all these things just align on the night that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? But I try to stay away from that type of speculation because I think the most important thing in the Jeffrey Epstein case is justice. We need justice. The government is not going to give us justice. The media, the mainstream media, they dig up dirt on, on salacious dirt on Jeffrey Epstein, and they think that that's uh, their mission is to just dig up dirt. There, no major media has called for any, any, any type of justice in this case. And that's why I formed Epstein Justice, uh, because we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to really look at Jeffrey Epstein and his cadre of criminals. We cannot let this get covered up. And I believe that if someone drills deep into Jeffrey Epstein, they will come across the cesspool that is currently governing our country. Um, the congressional approval rating is 17%. So it's very obvious that our legislators are not acting in our best interest. They enact laws that allow the government to trample on our constitutional rights. They enact laws that, that cause the wealth polarization that we're seeing today. So our legislators aren't acting in our best interest. And I've written two books on CIA, sexual blackmail, and honey traps. And I believe that a number of our legislators are compromised. And if they're not compromised, they're willing to make Faustian packs. When I was writing the Franklin scandal, I got to one of the blackmail photographers of that particular network. And I asked him, how does this work? And he said, it's like you're, once you're compromised, it's like you're on a yacht. And it's a beautiful yacht, and it's a beautiful day. And you can have anything you want on this yacht. But if you decide to get off the yacht, the people on the yacht are going to make sure that you drown. So there's once someone is compromised, there is zero incentive for them to come out and call for the truth. I think that that's one of the real problems in our political system right now that isn't addressed by the mainstream media. Uh, I know, interestingly, uh, for a fact that Jeffrey Epstein uh, retained uh, the criminal defense attorney, David Schoen, on the Thursday before his death, uh, that he paid uh, Schoen by wire a very substantial retainer on the Friday before his death. He also made arrangements that same day uh, for uh, an apartment uh, uh, near where Epstein was incarcerated so they could begin working on uh, Epstein's defense. Uh, and then Epstein allegedly killed himself. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, and therefore, uh, I join those who doubt uh, that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. It's interesting uh, that uh, Congressman Tim Burchett uh, in a very interesting uh, interview recently, said that he believed that many of his colleagues in the Congress were victims of honeypot operations uh, and that nefarious entities had recorded their indiscretions uh, to use as blackmail leverage. Uh, it was very interesting that Burchette, in an interview with uh, Betty Johnson, uh, said that... Uh, well, you know, you, you, you get elected, 
uh, and you're out in public, maybe out of town, and somebody very attractive, could be a man, could be a woman, uh, starts to chat you up, uh, you have a, a few cocktails, uh, and uh, before you know it, you're naked in some hotel room, uh, and then later, much later, on the House floor, uh, just before a big vote, somebody comes up to you and says, well, hey, uh, you know, there's some tape on you. Were you in such and such a hotel? Or who was it you were with? Or do you really want people to know that all that happened? Uh, Burchette says he believes this happens all the time, uh, but it would it would speak to what you just said, Nick, which is Washington, D.C. is a lot more like the Netflix show House of Cards than it, than it isn't. Uh, you wrote an epic book on the Franklin scandal. Uh, tell us, uh, 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 and this has gotten far, far less media coverage uh, than the Epstein mm -hmm. scandal, but it's a much, much bigger uh, scandal involving people at the highest level of uh, the U.S. government. Uh, tell us the name of your book uh, and uh, tell us about the Franklin scandal. Well, I've written two books uh, about CIA sexual blackmail. The first one was the Franklin scandal, and the second one was Confessions of a D.C. Madam, the Politics of Sex Lines and Videotape. The, the Franklin scandal, the full title of it is The Franklin Scandal, a Story of Power Brokers, Child Abuse and Betrayal. And it was about an interstate pedophile network that flew children from coast to coast, exactly like Epstein's. And there was also, and it was covered up by the Department of Justice and also by the FBI, and, and for that matter, the Secret Service. And there was a nexus with that particular network between intelligence and also blackmail. One of the, there were two primary pimps in the Franklin scandal. One was Lawrence King and one was Craig Spence. And Craig Spence had a mansion in Washington, D.C., and he would have parties that had all the movers and shakers in Washington, D.C., whether they're from uh, Congress or the cabinet or me the media, they would, they would all go to Craig Spence's parties. And what would happen at those parties is kind of like what you were talking about. People would be plied with alcohol for a number of hours, and then something would happen, like someone would break out some coke or something sexually inappropriate would happen, and the people that didn't want any part of that would immediately leave, but if you stuck around and you took part in whatever illegalities that Craig Spence was providing, you were compromised because every room in his house was fitted with audio-visual blackmail equipment, just like Every room in Epstein's New York mansion was fitted with audiovisual blackmail equipment. There were there were also hidden cameras in his Florida home, and there were hidden cameras in his New Mexico ranch. So Jeffrey Epstein was definitely uh, a blackmail artist, and I think Craig Spence killed himself. Uh, the blackmail artist of the Franklin scandal, whose whose role was very much like uh, Jeffrey Epstein's. 
And I believe that Craig Spence was given a deal uh, because if you're a blackmail artist, you cannot afford a lot of media because that's going to blow your cover. And Jeffrey Epstein was getting a lot of media and Craig Spence was getting a lot of media. And I think that Spence was given a choice. Either he could kill himself or he could be killed. Now, Epstein might have been given that same choice, too. I, I don't know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's interesting. This uh, Craig Spence and the uh, and the Franklin scandal really takes place uh, during the Reagan uh, and the Bush presidencies. Uh, I knew of. I uh, didn't know, but I knew of Craig Spence. Uh, ironically, I was invited to a number of receptions uh, at his home. Uh, I I never went. Uh, if you, this is really funny. If you go to uh, the internet, there's this crazy story that uh, some witness claims that they saw Roger Stone on Epstein's island. We know it was him because he was bare-chested, but we could see the Nixon tattoo on his back. We couldn't see his face, however, because he was wearing a bull mask uh, and he was assaulting a young boy. Let me say, I have never had any interaction whatsoever with Jeffrey Epstein, never been to his island, never been on his plane, never been to any of his palatial homes. Uh, I was, after you, I think one of the uh, earliest people in the country to expose Epstein's activities. Uh, but given the nature of the Internet, that story is out there. And by the way, no one ever puts their name on it because they know I'd sue them in a heartbeat. But it's always some anonymous person uh, on the Internet, usually on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, but sometimes on Facebook, uh, that puts forward this crap. Uh, look, I understand that I'm clickbait. Uh, late last week, uh, Ari Melber yet again uh, claiming Roger Stone urged President Donald Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act prior to the uh, election. And he's absolutely right. A year prior, when Antifa and BLM uh, were burning down uh, half of the Pacific Northwest, uh, when there were riots across the country costing millions of dollars of damage to both public and private property, in which people were being injured and killed, yes, I did opine that I thought the president should utilize uh, the Insurrection Act, as George Bush had done, to quell the riots surrounding uh, the Rodney King incident. But by the way, that had nothing whatsoever to do with January 6th. But they leave that part out. Uh, really, I don't get my news from MSNBC for the very same reason uh, that I don't eat out of the toilet. <laughs> well, Oscar Wilde said that there's only one thing worse than people talking behind your back, and that's people not talking behind your back. But you've concluded that Oscar Wilde was wrong in that case. <laughs> well, I used to say all press is good press. Uh, and I recognize at this juncture of my life, I'm clickbait. And because of my long association uh, and friendship with uh, Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, uh, I have... Uh, I'm vilified, I'm polarizing, but that's just the way it is. I guess if that wasn't the case, nobody would be tuning in to the Roger Stone show. 
on WABC. All right, unfortunately, we are out of time. I want to thank Nick Bryant, investigative journalist, for joining us today on The Roger Stone Show uh, and filling us in on the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Great, and I I just want to give your listeners a heads up. Go to EpsteinJustice.com, EpsteinJustice.com. You can sign a petition there. I I talked about it in the opening of the show. I also urge people to go to EpsteinJustice.com to demand justice for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Thank you so much, Nick Bryant. Thank you, Roger.